Good morning, everybody. My name is Charlotte. I graduated from UMass in 2019. I live in Holyoke, and I teach high school in Springfield. Please open your Bibles or look on your phones to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Now please turn to chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the word of the Lord. Please join me as we pray together. God, you are the ultimate creator. Uh, you are sovereign and righteous and more powerful than our small human minds could even begin to understand. This morning, God, we praise you for your goodness, for endlessly sustaining us, and for loving us in the perfect way that you do. God, we thank you for creating this world. Thank you for showing your beauty and your love to us through all of the beings and plants and different climates and different landscapes, and for creating us in your image to be a key part of it all, God. Lord, we confess that we don't meditate on these truths enough. We confess that we don't thank you enough for creating us in your image, for giving us life, and for being our loving and steadfast Father. Lord, we surely don't deserve you, but we thank you that even when we were still sinners, you sent your son Jesus to die for us, to bear our iniquities and to bridge the gap between us and you. To see, uh, God, you see the depths of our hearts, and yet you love us the same. 
God, we humbly thank you for that, and that for this reason, we can still, we have a relationship with you, that we can be seen as righteous before you. God, I pray for Robert this morning as he teaches and leads us in the word. I pray that you would bless him as he preaches, and that he would personally encounter and worship Christ today, and that all of us here today, in person and on the live stream, would be hearers of the word and respond to you in repentance, trust, obedience, and gospel living. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Thank you, Charlotte. I was thinking back, I, I think, Charlotte, when I first met you, we were standing out in the front yard, I think, when you walked up to the church, and um, she was just this wild-eyed new Christian from Vermont, and uh, she was full of questions and lots of great conversation, but man, she's grown into mature woman of God. So grateful, grateful you're here. We have been talking about next generation kinds of ministry. Um, this idea that the, the church has been tasked with the, the, the goal, the mission to pour into the next generation. And we looked at Psalm 78 last week. And if you, if you haven't heard that sermon, I'd go back and listen to it because it kind of sets the course, you know, for this uh, sermon series. But the idea was that, that the people of God are to have, uh, to be a part of a legacy of listening to the gospel, speaking that gospel to the next generation. Now, part of how that legacy is carried out is by having babies, there's some families here that are really, they're really taking this seriously, and I'm, I'm very happy about that, and I mean that. And babies are pretty amazing. I mean, I'm, and uh, so this sermon is, is, is about having babies, raising babies, and so it's why you should have babies, and where do babies come from? These are the two, these are the two points of the sermon. Why should you have babies, and where do babies come from? Um. We hear why we should have babies, or at least the beginnings of that, when what you just heard read in Genesis 1, verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. This, this is the why of having babies. Now, I think most of us, when we think, well, why should you have babies? Well, they're cute, you know? Babies are awesome. They're a real joy. There is sort of an innate desire in most of us to have a family, to sort of have something to pass down, something of yourself to pass down, a family legacy, or even to raise babies to be contributing members of society. I mean, every parent thinks their child is going to cure cancer or be the next president of the United States. I mean, come on, they're going to be amazing. And these are certainly reasons to have babies, but they're not the main reason. The main reason is that they are image bearers. They bear the glory of God. God wants the earth to be filled with reflectors of the glory of God. That's what it means to be an image bearer, to reflect the glory of God of God. Humans are uniquely designed to reflect the glory of God. Even better than dogs. Now dogs are cool, don't get me wrong, I like dogs. 
Dogs can run, they can bark, they can play, they can snuggle, they can protect their owner, they can be trained to shake hands and roll over, they can be trained to smell COVID, to smell drugs, to smell fugitives. I mean, it's amazing what dogs can do. And I hear people sometimes say, I like dogs better than people. Now, I hear what you're saying, and I probably understand why you're saying that, but Humans are way more amazing than dogs, except for the sniffing COVID and drugs and fugitive part. We can't do that. I mean, humans can start fires on purpose. Dogs can't do that. They can grow their own food. Dogs can't do that. They can build houses. I mean, there are dog houses, but they were not built by dogs. I'm sorry. Uh, Human beings have a sense of morality. Dogs don't. No matter what you say to me, they do not. They are not moral creatures. Um, Human beings can invent calculus. Dogs can't even do calculus, much less invent calculus. Humans can invent the iPhone. Dogs can't do that. Humans can build rockets that can dock at a space station and then fly back safely. Dogs cannot do that. And you know why that humans can do all that cool stuff? It's because they've been created in the image of God. That's why. They're uniquely designed by God to reflect the glory of God like nothing else in His creation. They are image bearers. And God wants to fill up the earth with image bearers, these glory reflectors. And this is the ultimate reason for having babies. This is the God-centered reason for having babies, to reflect the glory of God. This is a profound truth. Babies are not ultimately serving our purposes. They are serving the purposes of God. And this makes sense because all of reality is created for this purpose. The ultimate purpose is to reflect the glory of God. I mean, the creation is created to reflect the glory of God. So, of course, babies, humans, would be created to reflect the glory of God. Now, there's many implications that come out of what we just read in the Word here about the image-bearing of human beings. But I'm going to share four implications of this, or four things that we should value. We should value bringing babies into the world because of their capacity of reflecting the glory of God. It's good to get married, and it's good to have babies. This is good. This is to be valued among Christians and in the church. Now, it's not the calling of every human being. Uh, Some couples cannot have babies. Some people are called to be single. There's a lot of different callings, and all of those are high callings. I don't mean to discount those callings in any way, but because we're doing this next generation kind of a sermon series, I want to lift up the calling of being married and having these beautiful cherubs that you hear right now. (laughs) And even if you you are a single person now, and maybe we'll be single for, for a long time, who knows, right? You still are valuing marriage and family. Um, It's been so beautiful for me to watch Lois, 
who didn't know I was going to tell this story, but watch Lois invest in families and, and, and live with families in order to invest in families. She so values marriage and families, even though she herself, so far, is a single. That's beautiful. That's godly. We should value marriage and families. It's interesting, when, I, when I'm doing premarital counseling, and I usually ask this question, I'll ask, you know, what's the purpose of marriage? And almost 100%, they're like companionship, sex, we get to work together to accomplish a mission, but it's rare that they say, and have uh, babies, right? And those that, that have children, you know, that takes up a lot of your life, a lot of your marriage, is taken up by the having and raising of babies. We, we want to we value that. We want to value the sacrifices that are required of moms and dads to have and raise babies. It's, it's challenging just to have babies, right? Ask any mom about that, right? Just to carry this child in her body for nine months. Just to feed this child with her body for a year or so. Now, there's technologies and things that have been you know, helpful in, in giving more, more freedoms. I'm not discounting those, but when you look at the design by God of humans in general and a woman's body in particular, you can see that He had a special calling of sacrifice in mind for moms. And we should value that. We should treasure that. Now, it's one thing to have babies. It's a whole other thing to raise them. There's a great deal of sacrifice that's required to raise those children. And so when people are, are sacrificing their careers, sacrificing their time, their money, in order to have and raise children, we should, we should applaud that. This is a godly thing to do. And, and it's interesting in our culture right now, when a, when a dad sacrifices their career in order to stay home or take care of children, it's like applause. Yes! Well done! And a woman does that, and it's like, oh, what a shame. She just wasted her life. Do you understand how incoherent that is? That is so incoherent. Right? It is godly to sacrifice, to have and raise children. I applaud my own wife for having sacrificed in order to have and to raise our children. This is something to be uh, uh, valued, something to be praised. And so we, the, part of the implication of bringing image bearers into the world is that we value the sacrifice that's required to bring them into the world and raise them in Christ. We also... Uh, one, one val another value, a third value, is that we should value all human image bearers from the womb to the tomb. We want to value all human image bearers from the womb to the tomb. Because humans bear the image of God, they have special protections. And you can see this in places like Genesis 9. Um, this is a really, I think, a key passage where God is sort of reaffirming the things that He said to Adam and Eve, except this time He's reaffirming them in a sinful world to Noah. And so we, it's like a restart of the, of the human race, right? And Noah and his family are going to start all of humanity. And so this is part of the covenant of Noah from Genesis 9. 
said, God bless Noah and his sons. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, that's from Genesis 1. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens and upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. And to your hand they are delivered. Every morning, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But, but, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your life blood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of a man. Whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why is that, God? For God made man in his own image. And you be fruitful and multiply and increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. You, hear, you see that uh, command to multiply. So God is restating a lot of what he said back in Genesis 1, where God instituted marriage for the purpose of, of multiplying image bearers into the world. And here in Genesis 9, he, he's re reaffirming that. But then also in Genesis 9, he institutes government. It's like the, the seedbed of the idea of government here, where he's saying you can actually join together in a, in a government, so to speak, and you can wield the power of the sword. And you can wield lethal force for the purpose of protecting human beings because those human beings are my image bearers. They are, they are unique in God's eyes. And they are to be protected from the womb to the tomb. And so, whether you think this sanctions the death penalty or not, that's really not the point I'm trying to make. But the point I am trying to make is God saying, you don't kill human beings. You don't kill them. You don't murder them. Whether they're in the womb or they're old, or they're sick, or they're suffering. You don't have the right to take their lives because they are image bearers. We value them from the womb to the tomb. And the fourth implication, we, we value all human beings, which means we value all versions of human beings. You, you may have noticed that the human race is very diverse. Many different colors, many different cultures, sizes, shapes, expressions of intellect and creativity. I know we talk a lot about equality and that is important, but none of us are the same. We're all different. And God made it that way because He's so glorious that it takes that many kind of diverse image bearers to even begin to express the glory of God. And so if we defame any of God's image bearers, we defame God. This is why racism is wrong. This is why sexism is wrong. This is why classism is wrong. This is why fat shaming is wrong. Christians actually understand why it's wrong. It's because you're defaming God's image bearer. And if you defame God's image bearer, you defame God. And that's not okay. It would be sort of like 
you see a picture of me, a photograph, and you get out a marker and you put on a mustache and glasses. Now, is that picture me? No, it's not. But are, in a way, are you defaming me? Yeah. This is what we do when we defame a person, another human being. We defame God. And so if, if all human beings are made in the image of of God. We should value bringing those human beings into the world. We should value the sacrifice required to bring them into the world and raise them up. We should value them from the womb to the tomb. We should value every expression of humanity that's on the planet because they display the glory of God. Now, that's the why of, of having babies. Where do babies come from? Where do they come from? Pastor Rob's going to tell you today, if you didn't know. Verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves in the earth. Now, here's where God is, is explaining to human beings, here's how I've equipped you to fill the earth. How does he do that? He makes them male and he makes them female. And because he's made them male and female, they can fill the earth. Now, male and female, there's a lot of similarities. There, there's a lot of similarities. They can both create. They can both think logically. They can both experience a range of emotions. They can, they can both use moral reasoning. They can both communicate using language. They can pray. They can sing. They can laugh. The list goes on and on and on of the similarities of male and female. But they are also different. They're also different. And those differences complement one another. One of the starkest displays, it's not the only way that they complement one another, one of the starkest dis displays of complementarity is how their bodies fit together in sexual union. That is a design of God. In fact, Genesis 2, which you also heard read, describes it as one flesh. That, that sexual union, it, 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 it's so united that it's described as one flesh. You just heard this from Genesis 2. This is the creation of Eve. It says, in the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is so, such a profound passage. What does God do? He disunifies Adam from his rib makes a wife out of the rib, and then reunifies Adam with his wife. That's about as intimate of a picture as you could paint. And then calls it a one flesh reality. And then this one flesh reality isn't just for Adam and Eve. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his, his mother and father and hold fast to his wife. Not just Adam and Eve are going to do this, but human beings throughout all of human history are going to experience this reality. And notice that this union is not a one-night stand union. It's not even an 18-month stand. It's a one man, one woman, one lifetime. 
That's what's being described there. And you say, is it really? I mean, maybe it's not. Maybe there's some way just to kind of get around that in this passage. I'm fairly certain Jesus would agree. Now look at Matthew 19. Matthew 19 is this really interesting passage where the, the Pharisees are trying to convince themselves that it's okay to couple in marriage, then decouple in divorce, and then recouple in a remarriage. And they're, they're, they're really convinced that they, that's okay and you can do it at a whim. And, and so they're coming after Jesus with this question about couple, decouple, recouple. And here's Jesus' answer to them, or part of his answer, Matthew 19, verse 3. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by saying, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And then Jesus answers, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And then he adds his comment, What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. That's his answer to the, can we couple and decouple and then recouple? He takes them back to Genesis 1 and 2, and he puts those verses together. And then he makes the comment, what God has joined together, let man not separate. And so Jesus' answer is, no, it's not okay. It's not okay. It's to be a one man, a one woman, and a one lifetime. The design of of sexual union is that it is only to be experienced in that marriage covenant. Everything outside of that, everything outside of that is outside of God's design. Now, the Pharisees were like, whoa, 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 what about... This, what about that? What about adultery, right? And then Jesus says, okay, hey, here's the exception. And he gives adultery as the exception. And so Jesus knows he's standing in a sinful world and, and that it is really complicated and there's a, a, a big mess of, uh, going on inside of humanity and their sexuality, right? And he's going to go die on the cross so that we can not only be forgiven for all the ways that we've, we've failed God in that area, but also be transformed in our, in our sexuality, by the grace of God. So, so he, he's, he's not, uh, it's not like he's in some ivory tower and he doesn't understand all the implications. But what he starts with is the design of God in Genesis 1 and 2. This is the order. Right? And, and, and so th- this is where babies come from, is a man and a woman in a covenant marriage. This is the design of God. Now, why would, why would that be God's design, right? And there are multiple reasons for that. And one is, it, one is it's because in that design, God is preaching the gospel. That when, when Jesus lays his life down, one of the ways to think about why he's laying his life down is he's laying his life down on the cross for his wife, for his bride, the church, you and me. And the union that is between Christ and the church, brings about life. It brings about life. And this is what's happening in a a marriage. The union between a man and a woman. It brings forth life. You're hearing some of that life here. And this is preaching the gospel. 
This is the main reason why it's so important that we hold fast to this. In a culture where I know this is like totally, totally offensive. But this is, this is God's design, and we hold fast to that, to see men and women stay married, but not only that, to, to raise their children in those kinds of environments. Because guess what? That's the ideal environment for a child to be raised in, is a mom and a dad who are, are married and stay married until death. That's the ideal place for a child. Children of two-parent families are less likely to be impoverished. Uh, children in two-parent families are more likely to graduate from high school and college. Uh, children in, in two-parent uh, families are less likely to have health problems. Uh, children in, in two-parent families are less likely to get expelled from school. Children in two-parent families are less likely to be depressed and anxious. Children in two-parent families are less likely to end up in prison. Children of two-parent families are less likely to be on welfare. I mean, I could go on. I mean, we, I could stand here for an hour. And you're like, why is that? Well, that's because God designed it that way. That children would be brought up with a mom and a dad who are committed to each other until death. Now, again, I, I know it's complicated. There's many a single parent who does not want to be a single parent. They've, they've lost their spouse because of death, or they've lost their spouse because the, the spouse has divorced them. They didn't ask for that. And so, so they're, 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 they're in this situation where they're having to be a single parent. So no condemnation on, on that. And instead, exhortation to the church to come alongside those kinds of families. Because we know what the design is. We know that there'll be a deficit if there's only one parent. We'll, they'll need some help. They'll need some folks to come alongside and to give them the encouragement that they need because we know it's going to be difficult. Our world's solution in general is just sort of like pass out the birth control and get the school teachers going and the social workers going and we'll cure everything. And there's nothing wrong with, with those kinds of, of, of solutions. We need those kinds of institutional solutions, but that is not what is at the core. Like 15 years ago, Mel Melanie was at a... Uh, a presentation at Amherst College, and, and this educational uh, expert had come to talk about educating kids in the world of media, age of media. There, were, there weren't even smartphones at that time. And, and so the person was rolling out educational idea after educational idea, and everyone was going, ooh, that's a great idea, take notes, take notes, for like an hour and a half. And then there was Q&A, and one person was like, uh, have you seen results? from this stuff? And he's like, no, not really. And then the person got really, the, the, the presenter got really honest and said, if a child doesn't have mom and dad that love them and feed them every day and ask them if they did their homework, they're not going to, they're not going to make it. Like th this was God's design. Is that a mommy and a daddy who are committed to one another till death raise those babies. That is the ideal environment to raise children. This is where babies come from. And so God has created human beings as male and female, in part so that they could enter into a marriage covenant. Again, not the calling of everyone. I know that. But enter into a marriage covenant. Have babies and fill the earth with image bearers. 
That is a Christian way to think about human sexuality. And again, I know that that is so contrary to what you're hearing out in the culture. But this, this is God's vision for human sexuality. And so as a Christian, as a church, we want to invest ourselves in the next generation. Those of you that are married, have babies. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. It glorifies God. And then let's commit to those children. Again, it's one thing to have them. It's another thing to raise them. And so let's commit to those children. Let's walk beside those families. Let's commit ourselves to a great MH Kids ministry. Let's reach out to V and, and email her today and say, I want to participate in the kids' ministry. I want to help. I want to walk beside these parents and these kids, and I want to help them raise up these image bearers for the glory of God. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about kids' ministry. Now, the language of mothers, fathers, babies is not just used in the conversation about the biological family. Interestingly enough, it's also used in talking about the spiritual family. It's used in the church. 1 John 2 is one of those places. This is so interesting. This passage used to always confuse me. In the beginning of, t- of chapter 2, it's talking about the church as brothers and sisters. So it's a, it's a very kind of egalitarian kind of thing. It's like we're, we're all the same. We're all brothers and sisters. Absolutely true. But then he shifts in his language, and he uses a different kind of language. 1 John 2, verse 12, he says, uh, I am writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his sake. You think, oh, look, he's calling all the church, the whole church little children. That's so cute. No, not exactly. Then he says in verse 13, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you young men because you've overcome the evil one. I write to you children because you know the father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Now, why is he doing that? Why is he shifting from like brother-sister language to this children, mothers and fathers kind of idea and um, young men, young women type talk? He's not just describing kind of numerical age. He's talking about spiritual maturity. That's what he's describing as he uses these kind of three categories of children and the young and mothers and fathers. And, and these, these different uh, levels of maturity are described in the context of family, right? I mean, these mothers and fathers, they have authority but it's being expressed not as a CEO. It's not being expressed as like a general in the army. It's being expressed as a father, as a mother. These spiritual moms, these spiritual dads in the church have this authority to care for those who are young, care for those who are children. Melanie and I have played that role in so many people's lives. And we consider it holy ground <laughs> to be able to do that. For, for 30 years, we've been doing this. And such a sweet experience to be the moms and dads, spiritually speaking, of so many. Now, there's also young, right? The young, 
the young men, the young women, they have youthful strength and they are vulnerable to temptations in their own, from their own indwelling sin and from Satan himself. And so we got a lot of that around here. A lot of energy, a lot of youthful strength. I love it. It's such a, a great part of the legacy of this church. And then we have a lot of children. And I'm not just talking about these ones here. I'm talking about those who have just become Christians. They've just figured out the gospel. He says, he tells them that you know you're forgiven. You know, like when you first become a Christian, like, I'm forgiven. I can't believe it. Right? That's what he's talking about. These new believers, these baby Christians. And honestly, we, we, through our history, we've oftentimes lacked the mamas and the papas, right? We, we've had lots of, of, of young and we've had lots of children, spiritually speaking, but we've, we've lacked mamas and papas. We're not the first church to have faced that. Um, the church of Corinth faced that. Listen to how Paul talks to the church of Corinth. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 14, he says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And I urge you then to be imitators of me. As far as we know, Paul had, didn't have biological children. And here he is calling these Corinthians children, and he's saying he's their father. He's talking about spiritual parenthood right here. And it is, it's such a powerful thing. And many in our church now do have the maturity to be mothers and fathers to the young and to the children. They have gray coming into their beards and into their hair. Now, you know, they will remain nameless, who I'm talking about. But more important than gray hair is spiritual maturity. And, and that is being grown in the people of our church such that they can be the mothers and the fathers to the young and to the, spirit, the spiritual children. Um, again, this is, this is such a privilege to have this kind of ministry, right? I mean, again, Melanie and I have seen so many converted, baptized, discipled, oftentimes married, oftentimes held their first children, to see that whole journey and be the, sort of the spiritual mama and papa in, in the midst of that is, is so amazing. And I want that for all of those who I'm putting in the category of mamas and papas. And I, I want you to know that being a part of that kind of ministry, if you have biological children, will also help your biological children. I, I've been bragging a lot on the spiritual lives of my own children. And you may be thinking, well, he thinks he's such a great dad because he keeps talking about how awesome his kids are. Actually, they have a great mom. Um, but what they also had was they grew up with a bunch of crazy 20-year-olds who loved Jesus. When they think of the category of Christian, they think, oh, 20-year-old who loves Jesus and plays football for Amherst College or is a chemistry uh, student at UMass. That was their category. And it has profoundly shaped them. A big part of why they, they want to follow Christ is because they had so many of the young and the children in their lives. I remember when we first came here to 
plant the church in 1999. Kayla wasn't even born yet. Cooper and, and Corey were like in the three, five-year-old range. And I remember sitting in my, in, in my little home office and looking at some pictures when they were in a VBS back in Oklahoma where we'd come from. I just started weeping and thinking, what have I done to my kids? There's no kids choir. There's no VBS. There, there's no Awanas. If you don't know what Awanas is, it's okay. You don't need to know. Uh, if you know what it is, it's like a discipleship ministry for kids. Like all these programs that, you know, down south, they're flourishing. And my kids weren't going to have any of that. They weren't even going to have friends at, at church. There was no kids in our church for the longest time. And yet, God shaped them. He shaped them being around the discipleship of college students. And so it, it, is, it, is a, it makes a profound influence in your family. Now, does that mean we're not going to have kids ministry? No, of course. We're going to have kids ministry. It's going to be amazing. And it's going to be a, a profound shaping agent in the lives of the kids of Mercy House. But a, I'm telling you, an at least equal profound kind of shaping agent would be to have two, three college students at your dining room table talking about how they just came to faith and are getting baptized next week and how they're growing. That will shape them even more than some lessons on Sunday. And so those of you that you're, you're feeling like, it's too much. It's, I'm too busy. I don't have the energy. I, I, I just can't. You know, when Tommy says, hey, come be a part of discipleship groups, you can do it. And, and what, what will happen is it will integrate into the rest of your life. And you'll have some free babysitters. And, and you'll, you'll have some, uh, a real blessing. It, it, it is a both and. It doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. So let's answer the call. Let's answer the call. Let's bear fruit and multiply. That command, it was a command, right? To Adam and Eve. It, it is still the command today to his people. Bear fruit and multiply, both biologically and also spiritually. And you can, do, you can do that spiritual multiplication, whether you're married or single. <laughs> so the command is for all of us in this room to bear fruit and multiply. Now, I just told you where biological babies come from, but where do spiritual babies come from? Spiritual babies come from the gospel. That's where they come from. In uh, 1 Peter 1, he says this, Verse 23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. He's telling him, how was it that you were spiritually born? How did you become a child of the Father through the seed that was planted? And he's using some archaic language from the ancient world where they understood the sexual, what was happening, where babies came from, is like the male was planting a seed in the female and it grew like a tree. And he's using that kind of language to say the gospel was planted in your heart and it grew and you were born again. You became a child of God. It's the gospel that brings about spiritual babies. 
It's the gospel that makes the young strong in fighting temptation and in serving Christ. It is the gospel that sustains you old fathers and mothers. You need it just as bad, maybe more. (laughs) It's the gospel. And we're reminded of that every time we come to this table right here. This is just a a constant reminder that every one of us needs the gospel. Whether we're a a person becoming a Christian this morning, and that may be you, where you're like, I'm ready, I'm ready to receive the forgiveness that Christ has paid for for me on the cross for the first time. That gospel seed, you're going to receive it by faith. Boom! You're a child of God. Maybe you. I'd encourage you to do that. It may be that you just became a Christian last week. You need some more gospel to to strengthen you and encourage you and grow you. It may be that you're one of those young. you get got lots of strength and lots of energy and lots of temptations. You need some gospel this morning. Or it may be that you're a little weary, you spiritual mothers and fathers, maybe spiritual grandmothers and grandfathers. You need some gospel. You need some gospel. And so we are reminded of that gospel in the preaching that we just heard and the singing we heard before that and now at this table as we remember Jesus taking bread and breaking it, giving it to his disciples, saying, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, it's interesting that this ritual would be food. Right? It's, it's sustaining us. It's, it's strengthening us. It's giving us what we need no matter where we are in our faith. In the same way, he took the cup. After he had taken the cup, he blessed it. He gave it to them, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Hear that? Christ died to forgive us of our sins. I know that sermon was a hard word. I know it was. I know some of you, you, you're feeling some pain right now. And I want you to, to know that that was truth. And that this is truth as well, that God has made a way for you to be not only forgiven of your sins, but be transformed into something new. So don't just hear the truth. I want you to hear the grace. You need both. And this is a reminder of that grace, that we've been forgiven because of what Christ has done on the cross. And he's created a spiritual family through his death on the cross. He says this is a new covenant. That's, that's, That's this family language. We're now a people because of what Christ has done. And in this family, we got children, we got young, we got moms and dads. And we all need the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, you are the ultimate father. You are the one who sustains us as individuals, you sustain us as a church. And Lord, I pray we would bear fruit and multiply. And that that would be absolutely miraculous. That you would be giving us the gospel and giving us your spirit in such a way that children who are brand new to the the gospel would grow and spiritual young would, would keep growing and keep repenting and keep moving forward. And that spiritual moms and dads wouldn't give up, they wouldn't grow weary, wouldn't grow tired. They would be encouraged. They'd be strengthened today with gospel truth.
and they would continue in this mission to build up those who are in this family. Would you bless the bread and bless the cup? Lord, as we take this as a family at the family dinner table, God, remind us of the strength that's given to us in this gospel. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.